Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, we will stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this once again privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so, allow your inheritance and the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to heights higher than us and to break all burden and sin that binds us. May in the service be cursed, as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, stagnancy, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy people. And so stand, Lord, on the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation. May they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present this service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. The book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 45, 48. That you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. The essence of this perfection is comprised of us, like our Heavenly Father, to shine with our Son on the just and on the unjust, as He shines and pours out His rains on the just and on the unjust. Each of us has our Son and our rains under the condition that we are the clouds of the Most High and are filled with His moisture, and these clouds are sent by God according to His intentions, that they can walk according to His intention and pour out their rains, some for favor and others for punishment. If Scripture says you are a light to the world, this means that we must have a son. We must be a son. And how does God shine on the just and the unjust? He blesses the just and He scorches the unjust as it is written, God loves the righteous and he hates the wicked. And therefore, this promise commandment, it's a commandment for us to be so perfect. It is comprised of the fact that this is our calling. Our calling is to be a light, and in order to be the light, it is necessary to do something specifically, to take off the old man with his works, to renew our thinking with the spirit of our mind, and begin the process of clothing our body into the new man. When we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, and when we proclaim with our lips the faith of our heart, calling the inexistent power of imperishability as existent, we become a light to the world, only in this case. 
And therefore, this commandment is the inheritance of saints of all time, and it is addressed by Christ to his disciples. And therefore, those who do not accept the authority of the person sent by God, and those that choose teachers for themselves that will flatter their ears, they have no relation whatsoever to the inheritance of this commandment and will likely never have a relation to it. Because to understand this commandment can only be done only after we, with our faith, begin to submit to the faith of God in the words of the Messenger of God. In connection with the fulfillment of the commandment to be vigilant over the Word of God in our heart, as God is vigilant over the Word spoken by Him in the temple of our body, because God, He has not just spoken His Word in the body, but it always comes as an address. God sends His Word on the earth, on His earth, in the soil of His children. And therefore, He is vigilant over the Word in the temple of our body, not somewhere, but only in the temple of our body. Because God walks in the light of His Word, these are His paths and ways, the Word that comes from His lips. And with regard to this, we have stopped to study the following question. What specific goals is the righteousness of God in our hearts, with which we cooperate in our hearts, called to pursue? And in particular, on the fact that the purpose of the righteousness of God in our heart, accepted by us in the broken tablets of testimony, in which we, with the law, died to the law, so that we could, in the new tablets of testimony, which signify the resurrection of Christ, that we could receive justification in the new tablets in order to live for the one who died and rose. And therefore, in doing so, receive the affirmation of our salvation, or rather to grow it into the fruit of righteousness in the new tablets that signify the resurrection of Christ, to give God the basis to give us the promise to be an heir of peace, not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, just as he had given to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of peace was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, Romans 4.13. And so the covenant of peace in the heart of a warrior of prayer is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God in the words of the messenger of God. The faith of God is the information that comes from the preached word. Faith is from hearing. This is not some kind of emotion. This is not what I have momentarily felt or I pray to feel if I have faith or not. You can't feel faith. Information isn't felt. It is known. It is acknowledged. It is studied. And therefore, our faith is obedience, is obedience to this information. Therefore, the faith of God is the generalismus or the commander and fulfiller of our faith, Jesus, and our faith is the unceasing and irrefutable fulfillment of the word of God that we hear. And so, according to what signs can we test ourselves to see if we have the reign of the peace of God in our heart, which identifies us as the sons of peace and as holy unto God? We know that to test our hearts for the subject of the reigning peace of God in it should be done by the ability to be a peacemaker, which characterizes us as sons of God, as written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. If there is a state of peace in the heart, then a person can create peace. If there is no state of peace in the heart, he won't know how to create peace. Because to have peace in the heart is to have meek, a meek heart and bridled lips, lips that are bridled by meekness 
unbridled by the truth that is hidden in the heart. But if there is no peace, that is, the fear of the Lord, then a person will not be able to bridle his lips. He is going to speak ill rumors regarding his neighbors. Six signs according to which we could judge of our partaking to the sons of peace were already the subject of our study, and we have stopped to study the seventh one. This is by the ability to clothe our essence essence into the holy or selective love of God, as it is written, but above all these things put on love which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were called in one body, and be friendly. So, this is obviously a unique love of God, in which we are called to clothe ourselves into. And when we clothe ourselves into the resurrection of Christ in the power and perishability, we clothe ourselves in love, because love is contained in the commandments of God that are given to us. And when we proclaim these commandments having fulfilled them, and when we proclaim the inexistent promise as existent, we, in doing so, clothe ourselves into the love of God. This is so that we understand that this is not us clothing ourselves in the emotion, but we clothe ourselves in the information. The love of God is information. If you love me, he says, keep my commandments, says Christ. And Christ is, or the commandments are information. It's not an emotion. Therefore, to clothe ourselves into the love of God is to clothe ourselves into the information. The information of the commandments of the Lord that tell us what to do, when to do it, and so forth. In Scripture, God's selective love, agape, is presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the light of seven unearthly dignities and properties through the preached word of the apostles and prophets, which according to their nature are the unchanging properties of God, or they uncover to us the heart of our Heavenly Father. This is virtue, knowledge, knowledge that comes from virtue, self-control that comes from knowledge, patience that comes from self-control, Godliness that comes from patience and brotherly love and love. This is written in Second Peter chapter one verses two through eight. We together in a certain format of the seven available characteristics of virtue, which in their totality determine in our heart the goodness of God. We have already examined five components and have stopped at the sixth unique fateful property from which will depend our blessed present and our blessed future. This is our calling to show in our faith the unearthly power of brotherly love, because the presence of this sublime and noble component in the testimony of our faith, in the literal sense, transfers us from the state of eternal death to the state of eternal life. We know, not we, we, not we feel, not we, uh, we think, but we know that we have passed from death to life because we have information how to go from death to life and what is brotherly love because we love the brethren he who does not love his brother abides in death he who does not love his brother is a murderer as it is written whoever hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him first john chapter 3 verses 14 through 15. so a person who does not love his brother is a person that uh, hates his brother and hatred toward our brother specifically toward our brother comes from where from envy why did cain kill abel his brother due to his envy we're not talking about people in general 
people say that they love one another they never loved one another a neighbor always always envious of his neighbor and hated his neighbor always but here we are talking about the children of god brethren brothers that we love each other and if there is no love among the brethren then those who do not love their brothers according to faith in christ jesus these people are murderers and no murderer will inherit the kingdom of god with regard to this as in the previous components the virtue of god and his unique goodness to us which we are called to show in our faith in seven components we had to answer four classic questions what does scripture say about the power of brotherly love which we are called to show in our faith towards our brothers and when we are talking about brothers i want to once again comfort the hearts of our sisters under the brothers we also mean sister young elderly those of an older age that makes no difference because under the word brother, when scripture talks about brotherly love, it's referring to those saints who proclaim the faith of their heart. The proclamation is the seed, and the seed is the function of a male. The function of a female is to accept the seed, the ability to be fertilized with the seed. And so each person must have two functions, the male and female, because God had created man, male and female, according to his image and likeness. In his essence, there is the property of a nature, the nature of a female, and the property and nature of a male. When I am often asked, is God a male or a female? I say, God is God. He's not man. He created man as male or female according to his image and likeness. We must understand this. And when we know, when we know that a woman is created according to the image and likeness of God, then to place her on a social ladder lower than a male means that this is foolishness. How are you going to look at God in the eyes when you place your wife lower on the social ladder? We say, she must submit to me. How must she submit? She must voluntarily submit. If she doesn't want to submit, this is her right. She must voluntarily submit to her husband as the church submits to Christ. And the church submits to Christ on the foundation of the Word of God. If the church is offered to obey not on the foundation of, of Scripture, and this is offered to the church nowadays, then the church must stone the one who does this. If the church is offered to search for material welfare, but in Scripture this doesn't exist, there is nothing in Scripture for us to seek material welfare. And what must we do with these kind of prideful preachers? We must stone them, not in the literal sense of the word. We must reject them, throw them out of the church, not count ourselves with him, not greet them. Cast these pastors away from your churches who preach to you regarding material welfare and prosperity. Don't, don't listen to the sermons of these false generals. They're called generals of God. You found yourself generals of God. These are false apostles and false prophets. Therefore, if the husband says not that which coincides with Scripture, you not only are not obligated to obey, you must not obey. And this is very important. And so, what purpose is the power of brotherly love called to fulfill which we must demonstrate in our faith? 
What conditions must be fulfilled in order to receive power to show brotherly love in our faith or love towards our brethren? And in a certain format, we have already studied the first three questions and have stopped to study the fourth question. But what, by what signs should we test ourselves for the demonstration of brotherly love in our faith? Or how are we called to love our brethren, to love one another? The, and this is also uh, young, young children, male, female, elderly. And so we've already studied the first five signs according to which we could judge that we demonstrate in our faith the power of brotherly love. So I think you've understood that if a person does not proclaim the faith of his heart, you don't. You need not to show him brotherly love. He is not a brother to you. Why? Because he does not submit his faith to the faith of God. You must distinguish brothers from not brothers, from neighbors from non-neighbors. Your neighbor and brother, whether he be male or female, young one or an elderly, if they do not proclaim the faith of God with their lips, then you must not love them. You must not show them love. You must depart from them. And so we stop to study the sixth sign. This is according to the ability to be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer with supplication and thanksgiving to make a request known to God. Let your meekness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your light shine before all men so that they can see your good works and could praise your Heavenly Father. This is what this is referring to, because meekness is the element of light because this is fruit of the Spirit that can be uh, in which we can be a light to one another as well as a city on a hill. Why must we do this? Because the Lord is at hand. You will say, how is He near? How soon will He come? When these words were spoken, they were spoken 2,000 years ago. And Apostle Paul, turning to the church, having been found in the Philippines, said, the Lord is at hand. Now imagine how actual this word is today when it is written, I in two days will heal, in the third day they will live before my countenance. This is talking about, as Peter had said, a thousand years is as one day. From this it follows that when two thousand passes, the third thousand will be the millennial kingdom. You will say, well, we have the third uh, thousand year. 2,000 years has not passed after Christ because we don't have the correct measure of years. But we are very close. This is very close. There might be seven, ten-year difference, but we are very close to the revelation of the glory of God that is going to be revealed in our bodies and through our bodies. And so, be anxious for nothing, but if we have if we have this kind of property of meekness, then scripture says, given that you have this, you ought not to be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. These requests must be the element of the will of God. You, with thanksgiving, must give God the basis to erect in your body the power of imperishability. 
and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It is when we give God the basis to fulfill His will, to erect in our bodies the power of imperishability, it is then that our thoughts will be found in Christ Jesus. We don't do this. Our thoughts are going to exit out of from the shadow, just like some had left the people that were found under the cloud. They, they said, we'll wait here, we'll catch up to you later, we have our own works here. And then the Malachites had uh, come upon them and had killed them. So, their soul. When a person, due to his carnal nature, he wants to do something for his soul, first and foremost, then these Amalekites, these carnal people, his own soul is going to kill him. Therefore, we have noted that in this place of Scripture, the character of the fruit of the Spirit discovering itself in the property of meekness, through which we are capable of bridling our lips with the truth hidden in our heart, is placed opposite the character of the works of the flesh that discover themselves in the property of disobedience to the truth or unbelief. The ability of the meek tongue or a meek person to be anxious for nothing in the sphere of earthly well-being is opposed to the anxiety of a person whose lips are not bridled by the bonds of meekness. And he is in horror that there are things that can all of a sudden uh, leave due to some kind of crisis, some things he might uh, lose. And he tries to gain these things quickly and as more as he can. I remember when our saints had gathered barley, they had gathered other things because there was some kind of so-called revelation that right now there is in California and Portland along with Oregon are going to be underwater. When this didn't happen, now where, what are they going to do with these bags of barley? They're not going to eat barley all the time and so forth. Therefore, it's very important to understand this is the desire of the flesh. What is the desire of the flesh? It is fear. It is fear so that you understand. It is not an ordinary desire of the flesh. It is a coldness. It is fear. It is when someone is not running after you and you think, oh, that's it, we're done for. The prices are going up. Who cares that the prices are going up? The prices are inflated by the Democratic Party in order to turn America to other sources of energy. This is the idea of the tolerant West and the tolerant Democratic Party of Biden. This is not a reason that because of war, that there is a war between Russia and Ukraine, but Biden says Putin is at fault. I heard on the TV one American said, Putin, what are you doing? He turned turned to Biden, not Putin. But saints must thank God for Biden because God has given us this Biden. Understand everyone is exploding. We're not talking about loving Biden. Nowhere is read that we must love kings. We must pray of kings because the heart of a king is in the hands of God. Whatever kind of king he may be, Neron was a, a very um, stiff empire. Apostle Paul wrote in the times of Nero for us to pray about the kings. And it's specifically Nero that had freed Apostle Paul with his judgment from, de- from death, from the decree of death from the Pharisees and Sadducees. They had committed him to, uh, to, to death. 
And when it came to the highest judge, the highest court, he stood before Nero. He had heard him out. He had heard the Jews. He scoffed and said, you are freed and you, the rest of you, are incorrect. Because this is your dead religion. This is your envy. And you can't prove to me that which you are blaming him for. He's not preaching that which you are saying. You are distorting his words. That's what Nero had said. Why? Because scripture says the heart of a king is in the hands of the Lord. And he guides him as waters wherever he uh, sees fit. This is God that has allowed for people to understand. When you try to when you try to say that one must love homosexuals and have tolerant thinking we must love people but we have no right to give homosexuals lesbians the right for them to rule over us God today is showing America the four-star general is a transgender what can he do how can he command or lead how can these ministers of transgenders do something, do anything? In their head, everything is, is upside down. But God has allowed this and given and considering and hoping that in America, as Abraham had said, Lord, is there not even 50 righteous for you not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? He said, if I will find 50 righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah, I will not destroy them. So, America is not going to be destroyed. This crisis is not, in fact, a crisis. This is a special program of Democrats. But yet, we must still pray for God to give reasoning and understanding and for them to change their political structure, because they will. There's going to be, every state is going to have, um, people are going to, command that the prices go down and everything will turn good because there are more than 50 righteous here in America. And so the ability of a meek person, I want to again repeat, to be anxious for nothing in the sphere of earthly well-being as opposed to the anxiety of a person whose lips are not bridled by the bonds of meekness. He who is not able to deal with the fear that comes from the flesh. As it is written, a meek tongue is a tree of life, perverseness in it breaks the spirit. We are talking about Christian people. An unbridled tongue, if a tongue is not bridled by the truth that is contained in the heart, these are the bonds of meekness, then in this manner that this tongue will kill a person. How will it kill? Because he is going to proclaim not that which is written in the word of God, but that which he thinks he is going to distort the word of God and with these words he will kill himself. Only the truth that is hidden in the heart is able to be truth. Truth in scripture is the letter. It is simply the letter. Here it is, the letter. The letter that kills. Only when this letter is placed into the heart and the heart is living, the letter becomes living, only then can it do good. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. How can we make it so that the letter becomes a spirit? We must accept it into heart. And accept it into the heart, what must be done? The heart must be cleansed of dead works. And what is to cleanse from dead works? This is to die in the death of the Lord Jesus to our nation, to the house of our Father, and to our corrupt desires. And thus, our nationality becomes dependent on us. We can be a light to the world and we can pray for it. 
we can pray for our people. Until we die to our nation, prayer for our nation is not effective because we are dependent on our nation, but we need to not be dependent on it so that we can pray for it. Considering and given that we are a completely different kind of people, we're a different kind of government, we're a people and people, we're a people that are not our own among people, we are citizens of heaven. Our land is in heaven, our citizenship is in heaven, we strive there but we pray for our people specifically regarding what? That among these people, there are also people who are meant and predestined for salvation for God and our people to save these people. We don't pray for the whole nation. We must understand when we are talking about nation and praying for the nation. Pray for the kings. We don't pray simply about Biden. Lord, save Biden. We pray for God to give him a reasoning even if he is not going to have enough of this reasoning, he's going to speak those words that God is going to give him and not uh, the Democratic Party giving it to them. He is going to take words and do something totally different. This thought will come from his heart because God controls this heart, whether someone likes this or not. And so let us remember what anxiety is that come from these cares. When a person cannot bridle the desires of the flesh, when he is found in fear from what is coming on this earth, fear fear from his flesh. Firstly, anxiety leading to the breaking of our spirit are the genetic bonds of fear passed on to us through the sinful seed of our fathers. It is written, he runs when no one is chasing him. Genetic bonds of fear because he did not grow in the good, he did not grow the good soil of the heart he did not grow in the good soil of the heart the fruit of meekness with which he could bridle his lips which would be a sign that he could show the power of brotherly love in his faith which brings us from death to life secondly anxiety which a person is bound by is a result of his ignorance which is identical to the occult resistance of the liberty of Christ that is contained in the truth of the preached word that is called to free us from slavery unto sin in order to make us slaves of righteousness able to bridle our lips with the truth hidden in the heart. Thirdly, this kind of anxiety points to the bad soil of the heart, that bad soil of the human heart which he refused to cleanse from dead works in order to accept and grow in the good soil of his heart the fruit of meekness and the subject of the tree of life. This can be observed, and we begin to observe this, when we compare the meanings contained in these two words that are opposite of one another according to their character and their origin. Cares and meekness. Cares which discover themselves in anxiety is disobedience, disobedience to the preached word. This is disbelief and disobedience to the faith of God. This is a tongue that is not bridled by meekness. This is occultness, stiffness. These are the snares of the evil one in, a per- in which a person catches himself in and he himself becomes the snares of the evil one for others. And this is the path to eternal perdition or to eternal death. Meekness. Meekness discovers itself in a bridled tongue, tongue bridled by the truth of the word. This is a tree of life grown in the good soil of our heart. It is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. 
in the information that is comes from the preached word. This is wisdom, strength, firmness, power, trust in God, mercy, compassion, and the snares of the kingdom of heaven, in which we ourselves catch ourselves in, and we ourselves became the snares of the kingdom of heaven, and we begin to catch others. Anxiety is expressing disobedience to the order and the body of Christ, which classifies a person into the category of lawless people, lawless people among the people of God. He is found among the people of God, he has made a covenant with God, and he also has spiritual authority. And despite this, he comes out and preaches. Despite this, he is a pastor of the church. But he resists the truth of the preached word. This is referring to the preached word because his word is not uh, a pre. His, not his words. When a person is not called to be a pastor, uh, let him finish any kind of a spiritual instant college, spiritual college, whatever diploma he has. Let him be the doctor of theology. His sermon is not going to be the good news, the gospel, because he is going to give you the distorted truth. He is going to speak from his own mind or from that which he has been taught. One of our sisters, she has left us. She, having finished this kind of college, she stopped acknowledging Christ as the Son of God. She said, this is an ordinary person. He is not God. And when we sing, you are not man but God, she didn't sing these words. And the reason, the reason when a wicked person began to lead people away, when the angels had taken him, taken him by his skin, and they threw him out, they threw out all the lawless people who did not submit themselves to the power of the Word of God. Whereas the meekness of the heart, discovering itself in meek lips, is the definition of the fruit of the Spirit, testifying of the presence of the tree of life grown in the spirit of a person. A meek tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Therefore, the fruit of the Spirit and the property of meekness with which a person bridles his lips with the truth hidden in his heart is evidence that he is clothed in the mantle of a disciple of Christ, which gives him the ability to be taught to be taught by Christ to oppose the words that come from his personal flesh in order to open his lips for the proclamation of the truth hidden in the heart. And he learns from Christ in such a way that Christ said, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Sometimes people read this and say that this belongs to all. This only belongs to the apostles. This doesn't belong to everyone. He did not call everyone and to not give this mandate to everyone. None of us has the right to forgive sins. He has said, As my Father, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. To whom you forgive the sins, to them they are forgiven. On whom you retain sins, to they are, are they retained. When I begin to forgive sins, and when I begin to proclaim, your sins are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ, you know how around me these Episcopals, Episcopals, and pastors exploded they said who is he he's portraying himself as God he has forgiven the sins are you hearing this and I said to one of these kind of foolish people 
you who had come here, they all sat on the benches and they had they are no longer Episcopals here and I asked them who is called to forgive sins they say God well I say apostles are called to forgive sins we don't have any apostles right now they said if there are no apostles we can't be saved because it is said for all the promises in Christ and him are yes and amen through us through the apostles he says what only you understand this and no one else interprets it this way I said, and who cares how others interpret this? I'm talking to you, the specific word. And a person was back against the wall. He still did not acknowledge this. He did not acknowledge it. You know, when Christ had placed the Sadducees and the Pharisees against the wall, had pinned them, they still had not acknowledged. They just came to evil and anger because he had closed their lips. And so, the fruit of the Spirit in the property of meekness with which a person bridles his lips with the truth hidden in his heart, as I said, this is evidence that he is clothed in a mantle of a disciple of Christ. And he is able to be taught by Christ to oppose the words that come from his personal flesh. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Pay attention. You will not find rest for your spirit, but for your soul, your emotional sphere, and your mind are going to be comforted. In what? When you do as I do, I learn meekness from my Father, I looked at the meekness of my Heavenly Father. The meekness of the Heavenly Father is comprised of the fact that He bridles His actions with the words that come from His lips. At once, uh, spoke, speaking the word, He is going to be eternally faithful to this word, and He has bound Himself to this word and has become a servant of this word. Therefore, all that God does today, here are the words of God, all that God does, He does in the boundaries of this book, of the scripture, and not outside of it, but only under the condition that this book is placed and has become the spirit of life in our heart, and then He, in the temple of our body, walks in the light of this truth and is vigilant so so that this word can be fulfilled for us. He says, take my yoke upon you. Yoke is the will of God. Take the words of God that come from the lips of God which I have taken upon me and learn from me. Learn to take the words of God that come from the lips of God upon yourselves so that they can be your burden. Clothe yourselves into the words that come from the lips of my Heavenly Father as I have clothed myself in, with the words that came from the lips of my Heavenly Father. And when I did this, and I bridled myself with this word, I bridled, I became meek in heart, and I became humble, I learned this. Because in heaven, Christ didn't need to do this. He needed to do this when He became the Son of Man. He did not differ from us, His body was the same. And He began to bridle, bridle His lips with the truth that is hidden in the heart. He he wasn't always able to do this as we. At one time, having left his parents, he decided to teach in the temple at 12 years old. To the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, they were uh, astounded by his knowledge of scripture. He was not supposed to do this. God did not send him there. He was not yet 30 years old. 
When his parents had discovered that he was not there after worshiping in Jerusalem, they asked the relatives and they couldn't find their child there among them. Then they returned to Jerusalem and astonished, he, they had found him standing among the Pharisees and Sadducees preaching to them. Then they said to him, Child, what are you doing? What have you done with us? And it is written, Then he was humbled. He went with them and he was found in obedience until God called him when he turned 30 years. You see, if the Son of God, this is not a sin, God did not impute this to him as sin. God does not impute to sin when we are found in this kind of age, just as like children are. We might, at a young age, think of ourselves, oh, we must do something in the church, or we must tell our parents that we already understand enough and we don't need to be told we understand more than you but why does god not impute this as sin because this child has not yet grown in the full measure of the messiah himself he had to as man grow for this time was necessary 30 years was necessary for him and therefore he says learn from me he had remembered he had remembered his life up to 30 years of age he had to be patient in him there was a volcano volcano power of the might of god in him he knew he knew that with his word he can do all things but he bridled himself by the word of his father i can do it but i can't do it until the father permits me to do so yes i have power but i can't use it until the father tells me son you may now use it and then, when I'm going to use this power, I can't use it as I desire to use it, but I will use it as the Father wills me to do, and the Father will give this to me through the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus had healed not everyone, but some. Who the Father opened to the Holy Spirit to heal, He healed. Sometimes He healed all that came to Him. This is the Father that had permitted this. And sometimes he came where all people were sick. Go into he came into the hospital for at that time it was like a hospital, Bethesda, the pool where uh, sick people were found where the medicine at that time couldn't heal them, and they waited when the angel of God would um, could, would stir the water, and he only one person that would enter into the water would be healed. And there were a multitude of ill people that lay there for decades of years from unknown illnesses jesus came there for one person you think that he didn't want to heal others these were the sheep of israel of course he wanted to he said how i long for this to happen but the father said son only this person why because all of these people that are found there their illnesses are the reason for their sin and they don't want to repent in their sins but this person has repented in his sins go and heal him he had come and he had said to him take up your bed and go into your home and this was on saturday and the sabbath i should say this was in the sabbath jesus could never act with his might according to his own desire his own intention as he wanted he was bound he was bound by the word of god and the holy spirit told him what to do and when he could do it and so to define in ourselves the presence of meekness that discovers itself and trust in God, in His Word, in waiting for the salvation of our body, it is necessary for us, in brotherly love, to pay attention to a specific phrase in this sign that we are studying, according to which we can distinguish meekness from unbridledness and prudence from foolishness. 
is according to our ability to open a request before God in prayer and supplication by thanksgiving, under the condition that these requests are bridled with the bridle of meekness which express themselves in the desires of God that yield the will of God. This is a format of a praise in which we, submitting our faith to the faith of God, consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, calling the inexistent power of life in our body as existent. I not long ago received a call from Germany with tears one sister said, I yesterday had listened to your sermon and you said that if you uh, fast for 40 days and don't do this sin, then you are going to overcome it. I said, she said, I had fasted several times for 40 days now and I can't be delivered or rid of this sin. But I want to note that after this kind of fast, I was delivered from many other sins. But from this one, I still can't overcome it. Why? And I told her, because you did not understand me correctly in the Word of God. Scripture says, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Consider, consider. This is in the literal sense, doesn't mean that you have been delivered, but you consider that you have been delivered. And you call the inexistent as existent. And God is going to impute this to you as righteousness. This and this is our faith, our obedience, the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. For a human faith, and the human mind says, no, until in my pocket there is money, I'm not going to say that they are existent. When they are there, then I will say that this exists. But the faith of God says, you need not to look at your own pocket, because God is not dependent on what is in your pocket. He is dependent on His own pocket. If He says that you are freed, this means that you are freed. Consider yourself as freed. God wants for a specific time for you to consider yourself free. I say, you see, you not just fasted, you yourselves testify that you are delivered from many sins. But this one, no, this means that you must cont continue to consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And you must proclaim, proclaim the power and perishability in your body as existent. You must thank God that you have been delivered from this sin. And so, it is thanks to the presence of this kind of grateful heart that makes its requests known in prayer with thanksgiving regarding the fulfillment of the will of God that we should define in ourselves the presence of the fruit of meekness because we can turn upon ourselves the favor of God only when we present in our praise our body as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God which gives God the basis to show and affirm in us His salvation. Because if you, in the literal sense, are going to be delivered and you thank God for this, this isn't going to be a sacrifice. A sacrifice is only then when you, not having been freed, you proclaim yourselves free. God says, this is a sacrifice. Because you offer your body as I bring my body and I say, Lord, I thank you. I give my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. If everything would be freed in it, then in the little sense of the word, there would be no need to have done this. And therefore, we can turn upon ourselves the favor of God when we present in our praise our body as a living sacrifice. Only this gives God the basis to affirm in us His salvation. To have salvation does not yet mean that you are going to receive it as your belonging. 
This is just like having a house for which you pray, for which you paid a deposit. It doesn't mean that it's your belonging yet. But when this is affirmed, then your salvation becomes your belonging. To affirm means to receive it completely, to receive the means completely to that, to have these promises which are going to make our body imperishable. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Psalms 50, 23. Pay attention. Not before this I will show him the salvation, but after, uh, after he offers a sacrifice of praise, after he, considering himself dead to sin and alive to God, after he begins to proclaim the inexistent power of imperishability, or rather freedom from sin, when he proclaims it as existent, then I am going to show him my salvation. But for this it is necessary to wait for the salvation and patience and wait for the fulfillment of this promise. It is necessary to have patience. And so on God's end, to show us favor in his salvation as an answer to the sacrifice of praise that we offer to God becomes for us a guarantee of the fulfillment of our calling over our enemies. And so it is necessary for us to remember the criteria with which Scripture defines the essence and status of the legitimacy of praise called to be a sign of brotherly love, the purpose that befitting praise is called to fulfill in demonstrating the power of brotherly love, the conditions that lead our praise into the status of legitimacy, according to which we can judge that we are demonstrating brotherly love in our faith. We have already studied the first three questions and will turn to studying the fourth question. The results according to which we can judge that the praise which we offer to God is present in an atmosphere of brotherly love which brings us from death to life. And in a certain form, we have already studied the three signs according to which we can define the essence of a fitting praise that comes from our upright heart in an atmosphere of brotherly love when we have stopped to study the fourth sign. The first sign according to which we can define the essence of befitting praise that comes from our heart is called to be tested according to the ability to turn to the Almighty in a subject of building ourselves in a spiritual dwelling in a holy place. The second sign according to which we can define the essence of befitting praise is according to the presence of the comfort of our hearts which should be tested by our acquaintance and nearness with God the acceptable or the acceptance of His law from the words of the messengers. The third sign is called to be tested by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon us, after which judgment will dwell in our wilderness and justice will remain in the fruitful field. These three signs we have already studied, and the fourth sign, according to which we can define the essence of a fitting praise that comes from our heart in an atmosphere of brotherly love, we will be comprised of the fact that our praise will be found in the limits of the sacred word Alleluia, which defines in itself what is befitting praise unto God. Alleluia! Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends, his words in court will be firm. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid when he sees his enemies. 
He has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever, his horn will be exalted with honor, the wicked will see it and be grieved, his na he will gnash his teeth and melt away, the desire of the wicked shall perish. Psalms 112 verses 1 through 10. I will remind you that the word Alleluia is a formula of praise and thanksgiving to Yahweh in the liturgical practice of the Israelites, which like the word Amen, passed into all other languages without translation. It is by the presence of this formula, either at the beginning or at the end of certain passages of Scripture, that the essence of befitting praise set forth in these passages of Scripture should be determined. And in this case, the word Alleluia, which stands at the beginning of the existing passage of Scripture, defines ten components that determine the essence of befitting praise to God, coming from our upright heart in an atmosphere of brotherly love, transferring us from death to life. At the same time, in our praise, we will consider the presence of the fear of the Lord, causing a strong love for the commandments of the Lord. We have looked at this from our partaking to a woman who fears God, by which is meant an assembly of saints, in which the order of the kingdom of heaven is established, challenging the assemblies with a democratic structure. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Proverbs 31, verses 30 through 31. From this parable it follows that a woman who fears God is a church that preaches the truth, thanks to which the saints, spending all their efforts, they can put on the fear of the Lord on the basis of which they will be rewarded by God from the fruit of their hands, and the deeds will glorify them at the gates of their house. From the fruit of their hands means at the, from the fruit of their lips. So in these words, these words of faith that they are going to proclaim and in which we will clothe ourselves in, they are going to praise us at the gates of our house and our lips. These are the gates of our home. And therefore, in order to be filled with the fear of the Lord, we need to understand how Scripture defines the virtue of a wife in the dignity of the fear of the Lord, and in order to be affirmed in that our praise expressing itself in the fear of the Lord is truly the inheritance of our faith, and simultaneously the need for us to fulfill it, it is necessary for us to answer four classic questions. Where does the source of the fear of the Lord come from, or what is the essence of the fear of the Lord? What purpose does Scripture lay in the ability to be filled with the fear of the Lord? Third, we need to define what price is necessary to pay to be filled with the fear of the Lord, and fourth, by what results should we judge that we are truly filled with the fear of the Lord? Given that the first three questions were already the subject of our study, we will turn to studying the fourth question. And before we begin to study those results that will occur with those saints whose praise will be filled with the fear of the Lord, we will remember one more universal law, that any open vessel or container, both in the earthly dimension and in the spiritual dimension, is immediately filled with the contents of the environment in which it is located. If in Israel, in the tents, there was impurity, in the tent, then all of it became impure. All the vessels that were open became impure, but if the vessel was closed, then this vessel was pure because it was clothed and impurity could not uh, find its place there. But impurity is a spiritual image, and therefore, 
if a person is closed to the world, if he has died to the world in the death of the Lord Jesus, then no impurity in the house of God on earth, which comes from the vessels of dishonor, cannot come near him because he is a vessel of honor and he is opened only to God and he is closed. He is closed to all of that which comes from the flesh and from people. Therefore, we must understand this law. The fear of the Lord as an environment is first and foremost the protected programmable device of God found in God and carrying in itself the informational inherited genetic code of God. So, impurity, which can find its place in a vessel if it is not closed to sin, it is not died, if it is not dead to sin. Therefore, the environment of the Lord that is comprised of the fear of the Lord is informational, programmable device and the inherited genetic code of God. The environment itself cannot be abstract, faceless, or spontaneous. Just like any environment, it is conditioned and controlled by a person. And therefore, behind every environment stands a person that yields this environment in accordance with its nature. Based on this paradigm, any environment, both in the earth, both in the earthly dimension and the spiritual dimension, is primarily information consisting of certain programs that are directed and have the ability to infiltrate other programmable devices and change their hereditary gene pool. A person created by God according to his image and likeness is first and foremost the living informational programmable device that has a sovereign essence and therefore has sovereign rights given the ability to make independent decisions with regard to choosing the informational environment. And like any object or any device that a person creates, it pursues a specific goal that brings a benefit or progress for a person designed to fulfill and satisfy the emerging needs of a person. So man was created by God with a special purpose and above all to communicate with God on his level, to represent his eternal and perfect aspirations, to share the same fate with him and to participate with him in the creation of his truth. And therefore man, as a personal programmable and sovereign entity, was created by God in such a way that he cannot develop and remain neutral and independent from the two existing destinies placed in him during creation. And these two destinies are contained for us in the choice of either the tree of life or the tree of death, each of which is a seed that carries its own informational program. By virtue of his sovereignty, man, as a living programmable device, is called by God to choose and open himself either for the informational program contained in the seed of life, which comes from God, or for the informational program in the seed of death, which comes from the depths of the fallen cherub. It comes in information, in the seed of the word. These are two programs opposing each other. They contain two different gene pools and two different eternal destinies. All mankind lives in an environment of infamy, behind which stands the fallen cherub, who intercepted through the ancestor Adam both all of humanity and all their power over the earth. And a lot of Christianity lives in this envy because the fallen cherubim, again, 
has intercepted through the ancestor Adam both all of humanity and all their power over the earth through his informational program, accepted by man into his essence in a living programmable device. In this environment of infamy is filled with and subject to all sorts of forms and phobias of fear inherent in the fallen angels, on which a person has become dependent from which he proceeds and by which he is guided when making decisions. And therefore, the reason for selfishness, delusions, and ignorance among the people of God lies precisely in the absence of their involvement in the informational program embedded in the fear of the Lord. However, as soon as a person opens himself to the program contained in the seed of the fear of the Lord, his nature is filled with life, with the life and energy of God who created him for imperishability. Because of this, both the fate of God enclosed in the treasure of the seed of the fear of the Lord and the inheritance of the fallen cherub enclosed in painful and shameful fears is the choice of man himself. Therefore, as Scripture states, do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 33. That which makes us open to evil company and corrupts us is our lenient and loyal attitude towards them. This is the law. When a man dies in a tent, all who come into the tent and all who are in the tent shall be unclean seven days, and every open vessel which has no cover fastened on it is unclean. But that which is fastened and closed is pure, and this is all an image for us. Furthermore, take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. Exodus 34:12. You see, our relationship towards these people, it makes, it becomes a snare for us. And the angel of the Lord came from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I led you from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, and they shall be thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. Judges 2, 1-3 In the absence of opening one's heart to grow the seed of the fear of the Lord, the heart and mind of a person is immediately filled and opened to be filled with the fear of the fallen cherub. The fallen cherub distorts scripture. He takes some kind of place of scripture, and he makes... Uh, his own interpretations of this place of scripture not paying attention to other places of scripture thus if we make our mind dependent if we make our mind dependent on the authority of people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads we will perceive the way of their thinking and please their stagnancy their ignorance and their religious ambitions. If we make our minds dependent on the traditions of religious communities backed by people who call themselves the fathers of the church, then by this tradition we will eliminate the commandment of God. If we make our mind dependent on our logical thinking and on the life experience we have acquired, we will also be far from the mind of the Lord that is yielded by the fear of the Lord. 
Thus, to what kind of fear our mind will be open, on this kind of fear we will be made dependent and will become our deity and our worship. And if the fear of the fallen cherubim is the harvest and retribution for the violation of the commandments of the Lord, then the fear of the Lord is the harvest of the imperishable treasure to which a person receives the right through the fulfillment of the commandments of the Lord. And therefore, at what level and within what limits will be filled with the fear of the Lord? Equally, at such a level and within such boundaries, we will be able to separate the holy from the unholy, and equally at the same level, we will be able to communicate with God and to share His power with Him. There are a sufficient number of signs by which we can determine the result, at what level and within what limits we are filled with the fear of the Lord when we offer our praise to God by which we should judge the demonstration of brotherly love in our faith. Firstly, the result of being filled with the fear of the Lord will be expressed in the dedication to God of the treasure in which our heart is located. And the angel of the Lord said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Genesis 22:12. How can we define that we have the fear of the Lord? If there where my heart is, if I give it to God, only then will I be able to define that I have the fear of the Lord. For most people, their treasure is gold and silver in the equivalent of money, not their children. In ancient times, truly, children were a treasure. Today, for people, not children that are a treasure. To our shame, for many Christians, our children are not our treasure, but are gold and silver, or simply the religious image. I not long ago met with one couple. They sometimes come to meet with us. They are children of one Episcopal, a Pentecostal Episcopal. He came to them and sorrow said, none of you will be raptured because all of the children despite this one, went into the world. They don't go to church. And they were astonished. Why with he, he with such stiffness is talking about this to them? Why? Because he, ha, he does not have knowledge of you and your household shall be saved. If you say that your children are not going to receive salvation or they're not going to be raptured, then you won't be raptured. But if you testify of your rapture, you must testify of their rapture. And they said, he was very stiff with us. I said, you must understand what the reason is behind this. He doesn't understand why he is stiff with you, because he has resentment, bitterness. Previously, he boasted of you that he has a big family, he had lots of children. He said that based on the fact that his wife is giving birth, they will receive the kingdom of heaven. I talked with them personally. Having been a young person, I asked his wife, well, are you being saved? What are you being saved by? And she said, I am being saved by giving birth. And what is your husband being saved by? By his sweat. He said, my dear, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. You are already saved automatically because you gave birth to so many children. If salvation is not a gift, but the fact that I bear children, then this kind of understanding, uh, he did, 
doesn't realize what his understanding has brought him to. He has bitterness and resentment, and he doesn't even understand that this is bitterness towards his children that they left. And he says, you are not going to be raptured, and so forth. And I said, you must understand him, why he did this. And the reason, he doesn't have the fear of the Lord. If he were to have had the fear of the Lord, he would never have proclaimed with his lips the perdition of his children. Wherever your children may be found and whatever kind of sin they may be found in, continue, continue to look at the invisible and proclaim who God is for you in Christ Jesus. He has said, you and your household shall be saved, those children that are born by you. If you bring to the end in faith and chastity that you are the children born of you, God will find a way to save them. When you come to church, imagine that your children are sitting right next to you. Don't groan at what they have done. And when you speak with them by phone, always remind them that you love them. and that you are waiting. You are waiting for him to turn, to turn back. God will impute this to you as righteousness, and he will save your children. And therefore, as I said, for most people, and unfortunately, many saints, till children have not become their treasure, but the gold and silver and the equivalents of money. Sometimes treasure could be our relatives and friends close to us, sometimes human glory or some hobbies, and sometimes even our own lives. However, the essence of any treasure lies in the fact that our heart is placed in it. Well, the place where our heart is placed becomes the state of our heart our deity and our worship. That's why Jesus said, sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where, not, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, when we prepare the treasure of our heart, and there the promises of God will be placed. And when we place, we're always going to place them for ourselves and for our children simultaneously. And then, you always, upon meeting with your children, your face is going to be calm. Yes, you're going to have sorrow and they're going to see it in your eyes. Sometimes I turn to one of my sons, you know him, Arnold, this is my only son who does not go to church. He comes only sometimes. When I meet with him, I always tell him, Son, I continue to love you, and I know that it's difficult for you to get out. He says, Papa, I know, I know. I will come, I will come. And, and tears in his eyes. I understand that the time has not yet come. If a person says, I will come, he wants to come, 
He cries. He can't. I pray, Lord, be open to him and destroy the works of devil in his life. I say, you are dedicated to God, you are saved. I am with you, I am holding on to your salvation, but this is under the condition that we, our salvation, have gained it in a fruit. If we have not gained it in a fruit, we cannot uh, contend to our children being saved. Of course, we ourselves might be saved as a brand of fire, but not our children. Therefore, it is important for us to take our salvation in our hands. And for this, it is necessary for our treasure to be God. For Abraham, it was not Isaac, whom he had waited for so long, that was his treasure, but God. God tested him, this only one, this only one, because Abraham had not loved anyone more than his son, his only son but he had loved God more. When my, when my mother was being judged, she was pregnant. We were, there were five of us, five of us, and then the judge asks us a question. We were in this room. Who do you love more, God or your children? The judge asked her. She said, of course, God. He says, what kind of a heartless woman you are. She was judged only because she was Christian. Right now, these communists have all uh, turned to orthodoxy. They did not differ from the Banderas. They were even worse th than them. But God had delivered from the authority of Russia, from the authority of communists. I believe he will free from other nationalism. Because nationalism is fear, it's a scary thing. When a person hates all others, hates all others, Nazism is when he hates all others except for his own race. But praise God that God has delivered us from this evil. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived and turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. This occurs when these gods become our deities. What are other gods? All of that which becomes our deity becomes, uh, be becomes our idol. If it is evangelism, the gifts, the practice of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, anointing, if anointing becomes our deity, it grows into an idol because it is called to be our servant and not our deity. He who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Our time has come to an end. We will bend our knees and whom it is possible their heads in prayer. And we will thank God we will thank God for our deliverance from sin. I ask saints to come out here who have stumbled in their faith in relation to their healing, in relation to the salvation of their household, their children, in relation to deliverance from their lusts and desires, in relation to fear before all kinds of different programs that all of a sudden will disappear that are fearing you, 
Do not fear you are in the body of Christ. God will never leave you and we will never leave you. Do not think that if you are deprived of some kind of program of welfare, we won't be able to support you. We will. We will pray. We wait for you at the altar. Amen. will pray along with you with your prayers and I ask you to deeply believe that God is faithful to his promises which he has placed in your heart he is for you he is not against you he loves you and he will never allow for you to perish remain faithful to him however times you may fall get up again and again he is on your side we are going to help you to pray that you can hold on to full victory over those enemies that hold you in their dependence. Pray along with me, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. I come to you. I open my heart. I love you. Despite the fact that I am bound by sin, which I despise, and which I suffer from. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal my wound. I accept your freedom from sin. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed. I am cleansed, I am healed, 
I am restored. I am justified. I am saved. Your sins are forgiven you and your transgressions in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May He come down upon you with His holy countenance and have mercy upon you and may He give you peace. May around you fall thousands and tens of thousands around you, but not draw near you. May all of the blessings of the ancient hills and everlasting mountains come upon you. May all of this come upon you and upon your descendants and may it be fulfilled upon you and let all the people say, Amen. May the Lord affirm the promise the promise that you have accepted in your heart may he make you immovable immovable that you can wait along with those who fear the Lord that inheritance that is called to be revealed in our bodies very soon now all together let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and pr to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.